How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. You are listening to As a Woman, episode 134, IVF and Abortion. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. It has been quite a couple weeks for those of us in women's health. I am Dr. Natalie Crawford. I'm a board-certified OBGYN and REI, and I never expected to enter the online viral scene, but I've had some tweets lately go viral because I'm super passionate about educating people about rope getting overturned and how that is a lot more than just abortion. So that's what I want to dive in today. I do not want to have a debate about abortion. I honestly believe you are completely entitled to your own personal beliefs. I believe abortion care is a personal decision. And what I may do in that situation and what you may do may be the same, but they may be different. I also strongly believe that should be your right to make that decision with your healthcare provider because there are circumstances that you could never, ever imagine being in. And I talk about some of the circumstances that I've had patients in who needed an abortion in a different episode called Reproductive Rights. And you can go listen to that if you want to hear some of that. What I want to focus on today is let's put your personal beliefs on abortion aside. But let's talk about IVF because this is a connection that I don't think a lot of people realized. And I think it is really important to have these discussions. So IVF is only about 40 years old. The oldest IVF baby is in her early 40s. Roe has been around for about 50 years. And I strongly believe, as do other fertility doctors, that the protection of reproductive rights that came from Roe allowed IVF to exist and develop. And I'm going to explain why. And I'm also going to give you a little back history about IVF that you may not realize because If you are listening to this podcast, you may not understand how far we've come as a field and how some of the language in state bills may set us back. And I personally don't believe this is the intent. I know it is for some people, but on the whole, I think this is not understanding how medical words, words that have meaning in biology, can impact things like fertilization, implantation, conception personhood, life. Those words may sound really good or easy, but the medical definitions actually have a very firm meaning that actually can change a lot of things when it comes to fertility treatment. So I'm going to start with a little history. This was a message sent to me on Instagram, and it's not the first one I've gotten, but it's very powerful, and I want to read it to you. Thank you for your voice on IVF and this threat to Roe versus Wade. I am the first IVF baby and born in Kentucky in 1986. 
I'm likely one of the first 100 in the world, and my parents had people stopping them, saying I was an abomination, and they killed babies to get me. They would ask where my clone was. The Catholic Church refused to let me be baptized. One priest did it anyway, saying I was here and I was a child of God. It's just awful. Since my birth, it's changed so much, but now threatened that many families may not have this incredible option to grow. This is devastating. I think this is really powerful and something that a lot of us forget because we have so many people who were born from IVF now. 2% of our U.S. population comes from IVF. We have millions of IVF babies. It is a technology that helps so many people become parents and grow their family. Now, the roots of this were extremely controversial when IVF first came out. I mean, let's just think about what IVF is. We take eggs out of your body, we're able to fertilize them in a lab, and let embryos grow out. That means those first stages of life, if you believe life occurs at fertilization or early embryo growth, are happening in a lab and not in the human body. There was a lot of talk of playing God, a lot of talk of murdering babies and embryos, and a lot of questions just basically about not understanding the process. This led to fear and stigma. As a society, we've come a long way. It is technology that allows people to become parents. It has also gotten so much safer and so much more effective and so much more accessible. So when IVF first started, I mean, it's new technology. We couldn't grow embryos out past around a day three stage, but normal implantation is day five or six. We couldn't freeze embryos very well, meaning a lot of them did not survive the older freezing and thawing technology. We also had no way to do genetic testing of embryos. That was not a thing. And we had no way to freeze eggs because an eggs are a single cell. We didn't have a way to put sperm inside eggs. That's called ICSI, and that's changed things for male factor. So the invention of these technologies, being able to put a sperm in an egg, being able to culture an embryo to the blastocyst stage, the normal stage of implantation, being able to do genetic testing of embryos, being able to freeze embryos and thaw them reliably has changed the field. But I know unless you've gone through IVF or you know about IVF, that may not sound important to you. You may not understand where we were and where we came. So when we used to not have these technology, we would just put in numerous day three embryos because imagine you spend all this money to go through the process. I don't know which embryos are best. I know the number of normal embryos decreases with age. I know that you can't freeze and thaw them very well. And so I don't want to just discard them all. So whatever embryos got to day three, because I couldn't grow them later, would be loaded in a catheter, put in your uterus, and have to hang out for a few days before they implant. This would lead to lower pregnancy rates because a lot of the embryos are genetically abnormal. People didn't know. Miscarriage rates still the same as age-related rates. High order multiples at times because you really don't know. Are all three embryos abnormal? Are all three embryos normal? Who knows? And we had much higher rates of something called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome or OHSS. This doesn't happen very often anymore. It is where the more eggs you have, the more estrogen you make. Estrogen causes the blood vessels to become a little less stable and you third space fluid, meaning your blood gets thick, but all that extra water gets into your belly, your lungs, 
You can actually have kidney injury because it's filtering this thick blood. You can get blood clots like DVTs or pulmonary embolisms. The fluid can get infected. This happened more often in fresh transfers, aka throwing lots of embryos in, and when we didn't have some of the advances that we have now to feel comfortable freezing the embryos. This results sometimes in people getting hospitalized, IV fluids, antibiotics. It can take weeks and weeks to resolve, and it's a serious thing. It used to make it much harder for people who were younger or had a high egg count to go through IVF. So these advances in technology have made it so that we feel more competent growing embryos out, knowing what has the highest potential, doing frozen transfers, and having a higher efficiency, meaning more success in a shorter time with less risks. The other thing to understand is that not every egg will be fertilized and not every fertilized egg will make it into an embryo and not every embryo will be genetically normal. And even of the genetically normal embryos, not every genetically normal embryo makes it into a baby. So if we just take really rough estimates of the eggs that are available in one month, I always use this analogy that you have a set number of eggs inside your ovary. Imagine they're inside a little vault. Each month, a group of eggs comes out of the vault. Size of the group is proportional to how many you have remaining. So if you have a lot of eggs left, a lot come out every month. If you have few eggs left, few come out every month. Regardless of whatever number comes out, those are the only ones you can get to grow with injectable hormones. Take them out of the body in a procedure, and then when we fertilize them with sperm, even when we do ICSI, intracytoplasmic sperm injection, which is great for male factor, I take a sperm and put it in an egg, I don't usually see 100% fertilization rates. So I see 75 to 80%. Of the eggs that did fertilize, only about half of them will grow out to the blastocyst stage anyway. So now I've dropped that number even more. The number that is genetically normal will depend on your age. So it might be 50% if you're 35 to 36. It might be 25 to 30% if you're age 40. So the number that even make it to embryo that are normal will drop. And even for a genetically normal embryo, the odds of holding a baby in your arms is 60 to 65%. Human reproduction has so many places where there is loss along the way naturally. None of this is changed in the IVF lab. I can't change it. I am just observing it. I can't make more embryos grow. I can't make more fertilize. I can't make more to be genetically normal. And I can't make more implant. I am limited by the restrictions of nature, period, the end. However, by being able to better identify which embryos have the highest potential, we have a higher chance of getting people pregnant faster and safer. By freezing embryos, we don't have to put multiple in at a time and we can avoid OHSS. By freezing embryos, I can save your fertility for the future. So maybe you met a partner at a later stage or you're doing this by yourself and you want multiple kids. We can outlive our natural length of fertility based on our age, or if we're running out of eggs early, we can still have embryos so we can get pregnant later and not have to compromise on our dream family size. We can also preserve fertility in case you have a genetic disease, in case you need to undergo chemotherapy because you have cancer, in case you are chasing some amazing career path and you're not ready, but you know your biological clock is ticking. IVF allows so many people to become families that it is truly a devastating thing to think about it not being available. So why are IVF and abortion tightly linked? I've been getting that question a lot. As I said before, Roe protected 
IVF and assisted reproductive technology. So if an embryo is not an independent person, if a fertilized egg is not an independent person with rights, that means I can fertilize it and grow it out and test it. I can choose how many to freeze and how many to transfer. I can decide to get rid of genetically abnormal ones that maybe carry a disease that I've watched ravage my family or that only have a high chance of miscarrying when I've gone through traumatic multiple miscarriages and all I want to do is hold a baby in my arms. So the concern here is that when Roe is overturned, if it is overturned, which it appears it will be based on the leaked draft opinion, but big caveat, it's not overturned now, the rights about abortion go down to state-level bills. Okay, so numerous states have bills that will make IVF in jeopardy. I mean, numerous states have bills that will make abortion totally illegal, whether they're old bills or they're new bills. The ones that we're worried about with IVF are ones that have a personhood amendment, and these are bills that are trying to be passed now in Louisiana, in Nebraska. So we are going to see other states follow, and this is both scary and dangerous. So I understand, or I'm assuming, that somebody who wants to outlaw abortion wants to take it all the way back. So they don't want there to be exceptions at a certain gestational age or somewhere where somebody can come in and go get an abortion. So they're trying to do these personhood bills and say that, well, life begins at fertilization. Life begins the moment an egg is fertilized by sperm. The problem with that language is that unless they carve out IVF or unless there are specifics protecting IVF, we can no longer do certain things. And I'm going to explain to you what that means. The other thing to know is that we can still make change by talking about how important reproductive rights are. And in these states, trying to talk about how language is really important in these situations. So if I pass a personhood bill and a brand new fertilized egg is a person, can I grow it out? Can I freeze it? Can I test it? Can I transfer it? Can I discard it? I don't know the answer. This is uncharted territory because we've never been in this situation before because IVF is newer than Roe. So we don't really know what will be happened. But if the state has a felony level crime for destroying a life and you have embryos and what if they just don't even make it in the lab? I mean, I already told you not every fertilized egg makes it to an embryo, but did you destroy them because they were lives? Did they die? Did you murder them? I know these things might sound crazy, but the reality is these bills have a lot of uncertainty. And when you have bills with uncertainty, it's going to limit care and access. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer's upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury. 
Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a caraway for every cook. Their internet-famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com A-A-W to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, so visit carawayhome.com A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. That's rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. Rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. Another thing that some people have said is that, well, perhaps the workaround will be to only fertilize a certain number of eggs, and then any embryo that grows could be transferred. Potentially, okay, That's an option, first of all, for anybody. So when I have patients who come see me, let's use a hypothetical example. Let's say your fallopian tubes are blocked, that you have bad endometriosis. You will never get pregnant by just having intercourse. Egg and sperm physically are not going to be able to meet without a fallopian tube. Remember that egg and sperm typically meet in the fallopian tube. That's where fertilization happens. It takes five to six days for that embryo to grow and develop to even get to the uterus where it can start to implant and be attached to mom's circulation. And that's when you can finally get a positive pregnancy test. But if your fallopian tubes are blocked, you're not going to get pregnant without IVF. Now, if you come to me and this is you, but you strongly believe that life begins at fertilization, so you feel nervous about doing IVF because that's against your beliefs, That's okay. We can talk through it. The first thing I do is talk to people about where their breakdown is. So for some people, if an egg gets fertilized, that has to be transferred into their body. Okay. For others, they're okay with embryo freezing as long as the ultimate goal is to give each embryo a chance at life, meaning they have to get transferred at some point in that person's life. 
For other people, they're okay with any genetically normal embryo, giving it a chance at life. And for some, they're okay with just having the family size they desire based on how many normal embryos they have or whatever their dreams and goals are. It's an individual, personal choice. But if you say anything fertilized has to be transferred, okay, that's fine. But based on your age, we will then decide how many eggs to fertilize. And it's probably going to be a number like two to three. Because if you happen to have them all grow out, because averages and odds mean that some people perform better and some people perform worse, I have to be prepared to put all those embryos in your body. And I'll tell you right now, I've never put four embryos inside somebody and I'm not going to do it now. So you're probably going to limit to two to three eggs based on your age. And as we talked about, you're going to have a 75 to 80% chance of those actually fertilizing, a 50% chance of them growing out, and an odds of them being normal based on your age, even if you don't know which ones are normal. If they're not normal, they're not normal. You very well may be in a situation where there are zero embryos to transfer, but we only can fertilize however many eggs we feel comfortable with. And then depending on the laws and how they are written, I may or may not be able to freeze the other eggs that we got from that cycle. And if I cannot, I have to be prepared to do another egg retrieval the next month. More drugs for stimulation, get more eggs, only fertilize a couple of them, see if they grow out. If they don't, do it again. If there's no freezing of embryos, there's also no preserving fertility for later. That means you have to be able to know that you're going to have to pay all this money and spend all this time doing the process over and over again. And then what about people who are autosomal recessive carriers of a lethal genetic disease if they carry a cancer gene? If they had cancer themselves, if they lost their uterus and need a gestational carrier, if they lost ovaries or ran out of eggs and went into premature ovarian failure and they need donor eggs, is that permissible? Where are the lines going to be drawn? The reality is we do not know. But those of us who understand how complex IVF is and how far we have come to make the process accessible. I mean, in every state you can go to an IVF clinic. You used to have to travel across the country. You can make IVF more successful. That's huge. You really want to shell out thousands and thousands of dollars for something that you may have no chance of it working or a very low chance because I'm limiting the number of eggs fertilized. So we've come so far and IVF is still not perfect. We have a lot more we can do to improve embryo selection and uterine receptivity, but we've come really far. Some of these things will be taken back decades by some of these bills, these personhood bills specifically. So what we're worried about is how you define when life begins. And if you pass a bill saying life begins at fertilization, what does that mean for the IVF process? This is not fear-mongering. This is a really true concern. And people who are fertility doctors in these states are looking at jobs in other states. They are considering shutting down their practices and leaving. And we are taking IVF back to where in some states in this country, you, you won't be able to just drive an hour or two or 20 minutes to have a fertility doctor. You'll have to travel. You'll have to stay there for weeks for the process. That's going to make it more expensive, harder to coordinate, and that is going to make IVF less accessible. We already have an issue that not everybody who needs IVF can do it. It's expensive. It's tough. There aren't fertility doctors in every little small town. So it's already an access issue. We've been talking about access to care for a long time. 
these laws and personhood bills are going to make that even harder. And that is really sad to me because my passion is helping people understand their fertility, plan for the future, have the family that they want to have. So I'm not sure how you feel about abortion. And I'm not sure how you feel about Roe getting overturned. And there are definitely people who are listening to this who agree with that decision. And I'm not here to debate that. I'm accepting that as a reality. What I'm here to implore you to realize is at the state level, there's going to be a lot of variety and that I think that when life begins as a personal decision, and I think that defining life at fertilization has unintended consequences that will limit people being able to utilize assisted reproductive technology to grow their families. And that is very, very sad. I also know that there are some people who that is their agenda. They don't believe in IVF. There is a loud camp that thinks IVF is an abomination and that it should not be legal at all. I understand that is some people's agenda and I won't be able to change that mind. But I have so many babies who've been born to people who wouldn't be walking on planet Earth without IVF. And it breaks my heart to consider not being able to help all these people. I'm just laying it really out there. And you know somebody who's gone through IVF. You know somebody who was conceived with IVF. You know this. We need to be standing up for each other and realizing that when Roe is overturned, some of the consequences are going to be confusion at the state level. IVF is going to be one of the things here that is on the table. We, of course, are also going to have issues getting medications for incomplete miscarriages and ectopic pregnancies. We're seeing states make these illegal in a context to try to make medical abortions illegal. But this is really concerning for us. What does this mean for reproductive care in general? We're also seeing some states talk about IUDs and contraceptions being abortifacients and that they shouldn't be allowed. This is mind-boggling to somebody who has done this for a living and who really loves helping families grow, helping people have babies. But I think that we've got to be really careful when we allow politicians to impose personal beliefs on a country, the impact is going to be huge. And so whatever you personally believe, I want you to give a really strong thought to what this is going to mean for infertility people or people with cancer or people who've had some trauma, who carry a genetic disease, who want to do IVF to have a baby in a safe and effective way. And think about them. The infertility community is already highly stigmatized. They already have gone through so much. It's not fair. And we are making infertility really unfair if we impose IVF restrictions or make it all out illegal as a consequence of some of these personhood bills. Last few thoughts. If you already have frozen embryos right now and you're in a state with a potential trigger law, I don't recommend doing anything crazy and sending them out of state at this moment. Talk to your fertility clinic. If they advise you to do so, that is a different situation. Right now, we're just trying to see what is going to happen. And I'm going to be optimistic that us talking and educating that this wasn't the intended outcome for most people who are supporting these abortion bills. And that if we can be loud enough, if we can share our stories, if we can talk to politicians, we can start to enforce change. And I know fertility doctors in Nebraska are able to get a seat at the table and start talking to people who are huge supporters of this bill to understand 
what this means for IVF and potentially how they can modify it. That's what we need at the current moment is to use your voice, share your story, share this podcast, share my YouTube video on this, talk about it because people can't make changes if they don't understand the issue. So we must start somewhere. My patients in Texas, even though abortion will become absolutely illegal once Roe is overturned, we don't have any current risk for embryos. I'm not telling them to transfer. We are watchful waiting. We are speaking up. We are keeping an eye on the situation. I trust you. We'll have a plan. We're talking about this all the time. If it comes down to that, we will let you know what the best thing is to do. But transferring embryos is not a net neutral thing, especially if you're transferring them across the country. Different labs, freeze and thaw differently. It's just not a black and white scenario. So talk to your clinic. I wouldn't make any current changes unless your doctor is telling you to do so. All right, friends. Well, I appreciate you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. It's obviously something that I am very passionate about and could talk on and on and on about how important this issue is. Overall, abortion rights are reproductive rights. They do save maternal lives. And I'm fearful that by pulling these back to be very restrictive, having less access to methotrexate, a medication used to treat ectopic pregnancies that I myself needed when I had an ectopic pregnancy, will mean that it's even harder for us to keep pregnant people safe. And the problem is you can't tell who's going to have an ectopic. You can't tell who's going to have an incomplete miscarriage. You can't tell who's going to hemorrhage and need life-saving intervention like a DNC, methotrexate, reproductive surgery to take out a fallopian tube that has an ectopic pregnancy in it. Some states have laws that protect against the life of the mother, um, but this is up for debate. Some are talking about not having that. So this is really scary stuff, and I encourage you to educate yourself on what your state law level is. I encourage you to reach out to politicians in your state. Talk about it on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram. Support us as we try to educate others and share this podcast. As always, I appreciate you so much. You can follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD or check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford MD. Thanks, friends. Bye.